Matthew chapter 12. Let's just read. Let's just read one, one verse. Don't want to go through really what we have been the last couple of weeks in this. For This is, although in the same vein, it's completely different. It's completely different. So let's go to Matthew chapter 12 and just read the one verse. Verse 20, please. A bruised reed shall he not break. A smoking flax shall he not quench. Till he send forth judgment on the victory. We've been looking at a withered, the withered hand when the Lord healed the man in the synagogue. Remember the man had to act in faith by stretching forth his hand to the word. Now remember that. There was a withered hand, there's a bruised reed. The bruised reed, he says he wouldn't break it. And we looked at the words for bruised and break last week also. But this morning we want to look for a few moments. The smoking flax. Smoking flax shall he not quench. The word here for quench is the word spenume. It means to extinguish, to put out, to suppress, or to stifle. In Matthew chapter 25 and verse 8, we know the story of the ten virgins, five were wise, five were foolish. And we know that when the cry is made at midnight, behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. We're looking here at the anointing of the Spirit and the light of the Word. That's really what we're speaking of when we're talking about the oil and its brightness or its light, the anointing of the Spirit and the Word of God, the brightness of it. The Spirit and the Word is what Christ would have us to keep and to attend to right up to his second coming. Behold the bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ. Behold the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. Notice again, the lamp must be attended to. The lamp must be attended to. There were five wise who brought oil in their vessels and in their lamps, and there were five foolish virgins. And in Matthew 25 and verse 8, the five foolish said, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. They said unto the five wise. The five wise says, Not so. Not so. In other words, we can't give you an oil for the bridegroom's near. We're shining forth in the Spirit and the Word. We're shining forth in the Spirit and in the Word. The treble witness, if you want, of the Word which I had just spoken to you earlier of, of what was told me, um, that's what else was said, that it's the, the, the anointing of the Holy Ghost is in our meeting and is with us people. And the gifts of the Spirit among the assembly as well. And these things came along here, and it's to do with the Word and the Spirit, the Spirit and the Word. 
God gives us nothing else because we need nothing else. We need the anointing of the oil of the Spirit and it illuminates the page of the Word of God. We need the gifting of the Holy Ghost according to the leading of the Word of God. In the framework of the Word of the living God. And that's what God expects until he sends his Son from heaven. The bridegroom cometh. The words here, give us of of your oil for our lamps are gone out, is the exact same word here for quench in Matthew 12 and verse 20. A smoking flex shall he not quench. Our lamps are gone out. They were extinguished. They were stifled. They were put out. They were suppressed. So we need as an assembly and as individuals to do something to attend to our lamps and our relationship with the Lord to understand that we need the oil of the Spirit to even preach the Word, to teach the Word, to live the Word, to obey the Word. And that's where the light of our lamp comes from. So there's an attention to the lamp. Remember, the man had to stretch. He had something to do. There's an attention to the lamp. The... The term here for quench, spenume, uh, or to suppress or to extinguish, is, is in many other words. But I don't want to go too much into it at the moment. But here's the word quench in the same word again as in Ephesians 6 and verse 16. Paul says, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Now, notice this. You need to grasp this. Here, the word quench is the same, where you'll be able to extinguish. You take the shield of faith. Did you hear that? You have to do something. It's no use saying, I believe, and doing nothing with it. It's no use saying, I believe, and then worrying all about it. You have to take the shield of faith. It's no use saying, the devil's attacking me, and not realizing that in Christ... You have the shield of faith. You don't go to battle with your shield on one arm and let the enemy fire those arrows dipped in oil and lit and fire them at you without any defense. It just doesn't make sense. And here the idea is that we take the shield of faith. The man stretched forth his arm. We need to apply ourselves to looking after the lamp. That is who we are and the Spirit's relation to us. Here, taking the shield of faith wherewith ye shall be able to quench. In other words, when the devil will attack, when the minions and hordes of hell will come against you. If you don't really believe what you say you believe, then you're not taking the shield of faith. And we need to take it for when one arrow is fired, the shield of faith saying, it's not about me, it's all about Christ. And he is my God and he is over all. And He is sovereign in my life. And it's taken the shield of faith where you will be able to extinguish, to suppress, to stifle and put out, to quench all those fiery darts or arrows dipped in oil and satellite, as it were, that want to pierce you, that want to burn you, that want to kill you and destroy you. So you must do something. We're talking here about human responsibility under the sovereignty of Almighty God. Human responsibility. 
As Christians, we feel we have no responsibility. Brother, sister, yes, you have. Even at the preaching of the gospel, you have a responsibility to bring the gospel. Even in the living of a life, you have a responsibility, a human responsibility, that you're not going to be the places you used to be in. You're not going to live the life you used to live. You're not going to do the things you used to do. That the Holy Spirit is the oil that is within you, within your lamp. And according to the word, it will give light through you. So we have a human responsibility to live our lives before God and before men and to take it up and to do something with it, not to lie under and not to to run away, not to be weak and watery before man and God, but to take it on board and say, Lord, I'm going to go forward in your name and I'm going to trust you no matter what. And if you don't get up and do, no one else is going to do it for you. That we acquire into all the fiery darts of the wicked. See the word wicked here? It's the word poneros. And the Lord Jesus uses it in Matthew 6 and 13. When he's saying the, what people call the Lord's Prayer, really the, the, the prayer for the, the disciples and the, the prayer of a formula that we are to pray. Uh, give us an idea how we are to worship in our prayer. And he says, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The idea here is we're looking, Lord, give us the strength not to go to a place of evil, but really the word evil is the same word for wicked. Poneros. And it means from the wicked one. From the wicked one. That you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. The word poneros comes from a, a word ponos. You know what it means? Malignant one. The malignant one. In other words, the devil is malignant in many lives. And the devil is malignant in many Christians' lives. And he's no right to be there. He has no authority over you. If you're washed in the blood of the Lamb and you're trusting in the finished work of Calvary's cross, the devil has no hold over you. You're under New management. And this means deliver us from the malignant one, the one who wants to come in. And we know what it's like when we hear the word cancer, it's malignant. It goes right through the body and it destroys the body and it brings us to death. And look, the devil's a malignant one in the church. The devil's malignant in how he causes Christians to react. They allow his influence. He's malignant in many lives. He's malignant on many tongues. He's malignant in many thoughts. He's malignant in many ways. And it's time for you to say, Father, I'm taking the shield of faith to quench every fiery dart of this malignant one. For he'll destroy you.
We come to our, this word ponos, it just doesn't mean malignant, but it gives the idea of every labor of evil. Every labor of evil. Deliver me, Lord, from every labor of evil. Whatever has come your way, Take the shield of faith. And watch how the shield of faith will quench all the fiery darts of the malignant one and every labor of evil. Turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 21. We want to look at this word quench only in the Hebrew. We're going to, it seems like it's a completely different, this is where I went yesterday. Now here's where I want to ask for your attention, but here's what I want to ask for your, if I could even say for your patience with me, your temperance. Can I be real with you this morning? I mean really, really real. Then let's read Second Samuel chapter 21. Just a few verses out of it. Let me give it to you. I was out praying yesterday morning and I went over those fields again. And I was thinking about the message last week, how the word kata, we brought it through according to his will, according to his purpose, showing the sovereign uh, will, the sovereign plan and the sovereign being of our God. And and I said, Lord, surely in your sovereignty, Lord, all these things will come to naught. And I was praying and saying, Lord, the word kata means dominance. Gives the idea of pressing down according to his, the pleasure of his, his good pleasure, the pleasure of his own will, and so on. We looked at it last Sunday morning. And it was, it was the very dominance of God's will in our lives that we're here you take strength in that, knowing that you'll not slip out of, out of that because he is dominant in your life. And I said, Lord, let your spirit be dominant in our assembly and let your spirit be dominant in our lives and let your spirit be dominant in the worship. Come and dominate my, my thoughts and my thinking. Come and dominate everything that's not of you and let the spirit overtake the flesh and let the spirit dominate my life. Let God's word dominate me. If you'd have seen me walking across two or three fields, Lord, will you dominate me? Will you dominate me with your word? Will you dominate me with your spirit? Will you come, Lord, according to your will, let it be done in my life that I may be completely overcome and overtaken and dominated by you? Because I hate me. That is my flesh and my, uh, my humanity. It's depraved. Lord, dominate me. Lord, will you take over and please and dominate us? Second Samuel chapter 15, or chapter 21, or verse 15. Moreover, the Philistines had yet war again with Israel. And David went down and his servants with him and fought against the Philistines. And David waxed faint. And Ishbibinob 
which was of the sons of the giant, the weight of whose spear weighed 300 shekels of brass in weight, he being girded with a new sword thought to have slain David, but Abishai, the son of Zariah, succored him and smote the Philistine and killed him. Then the men, then the men of David swear unto him, saying, Thou shalt go no more out with us to battle, that thou quench not the light of Israel. That thou quench not the light of Israel. David's older here. And when David's here fighting, his faith has been tried. His faith has been tested. He's been on the run from Saul in his life. He's been in the cave of Adullam. He's lived in the holes in the rocks and the clefts of the mountains. He's been chased by his own son Absalom. He's had many ups and downs. He's had javelins pinned to the wall beside him. His life has been in danger many times, yet he's had such precious blessed times before the Lord. And he's anointed of the Spirit. He's a sweet psalmist or singer of Israel. He's a prophet. He's a king. Now he's old. So much experience behind him. Experience in battle. Experience in the Lord. And he's out in battle one day and this Philistine giant comes. Starts to fight with David. And we're told in verse 15, David waxed faint. In other words, David's light was almost put out. David was almost quenched. David was feeling the heat of the day. And we're told that Abishai comes along. Abishai is actually David's nephew. And Abishai comes along. You know what Abishai means? Father of gifts. And David's almost extinguished. And the light of Israel is almost put out. And suddenly there comes a fresh gift from the father. In the form of Abishai. His own nephew. I wonder, did it ever cross David's mind that when David was older and an old man, that the little one that his sister would have and call Abishai father of gifts, that that gift one day would return to him. And that gift one day would replenish the fight in him. Father of gifts. God knew exactly what he was doing by giving this a woman, a son. God knew exactly what he was doing by raising that wee boy up. And God knew exactly what he was doing. For one day, his servant David is going to be in trouble. His strength is going to wax and faint. And he was bringing him alongside in order to slay the giant. The father says, I have a gift in store for you, David, but it's just not time yet. And do you know, brothers and sisters, sometimes we, 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 we wax faint And we wonder where you are, Lord, and the Philistines are upon us, as it were, and they're hindering our ways, and they're blocking our paths, and they're coming against us, and the old devil wants to destroy us. But what we don't realize is God has already planned, God has already prepared an Abishai for us. That just at that place and point of your need, the Abishai, the gift of the Father, steps in 
And smoking flax he will not quench. He will not extinguish. And he will not put out. You see, you don't give up. There's a human responsibility for you to, to keep, keep going on in God. To keep trusting in him no matter what you see, no matter the size of the Philistine, no matter whom the giant is. And do you know who this was? Goliath's son. Oh, David killed my daughter. David put a stone in his head and cut the same head off with, his, with my dad's sword. David even took my dad's sword and put it in a temple. Now it's my turn. Now it's my turn. Now I'll get him. You be assured that the devil is like that with you. He hates you. But he tells you he loves you. But he wants to destroy you. Thank the Lord, there's an Abishai coming to our lives. The gift of the Father has come. The gift of the Father in Christ has come, and we are in him. But the Lord will always step in when we keep trusting. David was the light of Israel, and so as Abishai stepped in, there are other battles that needed to be fought, and David just needed to stay alive. That's all he needed. So they take David and they say to him, his own young man, let your eye run down to verse 17. But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, succored or helped David, smote the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swore unto him, saying, Thou shalt go no more out with us to battle that thou quench not the light of Israel. The word here where it says David waxed faint is the word oof. Do you know what it means? It gives the idea of wings and feathers. In other words, David, his strength just flew away. Just flew away. Do you ever get times whenever you think, Lord, my strength is gone? Do you ever get times when you say, Lord, my strength has just flown away? Do you ever get times whenever you think, you know, my strength has taken wings and feathers and has left me, has departed from me? And you wonder, Lord, how long? And the, the devil's hot on your heels and he's even got a new sword because the old one didn't work. God sends in his Abishai to help you. If David was called the light of Israel and if David had have died... If he was killed in battle, then the light would be quenched. You see, in Exodus chapter 27 and verse 37, listen to what it says about the lamp of Israel then, which was in the tabernacle. The seven branch, or the seven lamp candlestick, as they call it. Exodus 27 and verse 37 says, I shall command the children of Israel that they bring olive oil beaten for the light, to cause the lamp to burn always. Notice human responsibility to keep the light. Now listen, we're saved by grace. There's nothing we can bring. Not one thing we can do. But I'm talking about in your Christian life, your walk and your experiences to tend to the things of God, to be careful around the things of God. 
and to reverence the things of God and respect the things of God and to believe in God. We're told this lamp was to burn in the tabernacle always. Do you know in 1 Samuel chapter 3, young Samuel is working in the tabernacle or the temple and we're told at night the lamp went out one night. It actually went out. And what it used to do was this lamp lit up the room, but it lit up over against where the Ark of the Covenant was, where God's glory would come down. And do you know what that light does? That light tells me that there's oil flowing through it, which is the Spirit, that the light of God's Word shines upon the Ark. The Ark of the Covenant was a foreshadowing of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we have the oil of the Spirit and the Word of God, it should always whether it's in the gifts of the Holy Ghost or whether it's in the Word of God and the preaching and the teaching of the Word, it should always light up and illuminate toward Christ. Toward Christ. One day in the temple after the tabernacle, the light goes out and young Samuel hears the voice. And what the Lord says to him, after, the, you know, after he'd went to Eli, we'll not go into the story, but he says to him eventually, he says, Samuel, he says, behold, he says, I'm going to do a new thing in Israel. Eli and his sons and their sin, he's in the temple as the priests, I've had enough. A slump went out. But Samuel goes back, and he goes back to his duties as a young boy, and the Lord appears unto him again. And eventually Samuel is raised up to be a prophet, a light himself in Israel. It was taken, as it were, out from the tabernacle and it was shown to the nation. David is anointed with oil by Samuel. Now he is the light of Israel. David, if he died, the Philistines' strength would grow for the light would go out, darkness would prevail. And listen, light or darkness only exists in the absence of light. Brother, sister, get that. Darkness only exists in the absence of light. Everywhere you go, whether you're in work or at home or wherever you are, everywhere you go, if you have the spirit, the oil in the vessel, if you have the word of God, the illumination of the place that you're in, then you'll find that you will be the light in a dark place. I told you before, our Jody, when she first started, first year in the high school, first day was great. That night she wasn't too happy. Next morning, Daddy, sore tummy, get on the bus. I know your score. I know what you're like. Get on the bus. But Daddy, sore tummy, and I was, get on the bus. Daddy, do you know in that bus there's boys and girls and they say bad words? There's boys and girls there, he says, and they're not Christians, you know. And I says, good, then you can go and shine your light and be a witness. It's even better there. If you shine your headlights of your car in a bright summer's day, you'll make very little impact. You shine them in the darkest of nights, you'll see it all over the place. David was a light that shone in a darkness all over the place. And if he died, his testimony was the only thing. His life, 
his witness, his strength, his power, his walk before God, before Yahweh, was the only thing that kept Israel alive. Everything that God had was invested in him. For in his seed would come the Lord Jesus Christ. David inherited the promises, the solemn anointed covenant with God and his witness and testimony was of more importance to Israel than all their weapons of warfare. David's witness and testimony, the light that shone from him was was greater than all the weapons and the warfare that Israel could muster to fight against the Philistines. And brothers and sisters, your testimony and your walk with God and how you and your human responsibility to get up and to trust God and stop lying under it. Stop giving up. Stop giving in. Stop saying I'm throwing my hands in the air and I'm speaking to me first. Don't let the devil snuff you out and extinguish you. Rather, take the shield of faith and quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. His faith and testimony, even though he wasn't on battlefield, it was enough to say there's a lampstand here that shines forth on the Christ. For him, from the house of David, would come the Savior. He says, we don't want the witness or the light of Israel to go out. Now here's some things I want to say in closing. It says in 2 Samuel 21 verse 22. If you go on and read those next verses down to that when you go home. You'll find there's other battles and there's four giants mentioned. Counting the first one you have Saph in verse 18. You have the brother of Goliath. Here's another one. And then you have in verse 20, a man of great stature with six fingers and six toes on each foot. And in case you didn't believe it, the Holy Ghost gets the inspired writer to put down 24 in total. (laughs) And he was slew. The very last verse of the chapter says, these four were born to the giant in Gath. And fell by the hand of David. And by the hand of his servants. Do you know what David was doing? Do you know what David was doing? David was preparing a way of faith. David was preparing a life of faith for his children. Solomon was coming. Solomon was being reared up. Solomon, what are we going to do, son? What will we do about him? I have to defeat the devil in my life. I have to defeat the devil in my home. I have to defeat the devil in my family. I have to take authority over all he's trying to do in my life. I will be in the place where I am found to worship because I will not have my children overrun by the things of this world and the devil. See, if you don't teach your children the ways of the Lord you be assured that the devil will teach him the ways of Satan. Be assured of it. And the example that you set to your children or your grandchildren, 
the example you set, brother, and you set, sister, is whether you're going to defeat the devil. When you're the, if you're one that says, I'm, I'm here one minute and then I'm not, I'm trusting God and that your children are seeing you then, uh, that you're just useless before God. To say, well, one, one time you're in the world, another time you're not, or you're, you're, you're abusive to, to their mother or, the, or to their father. Listen, parent, your children will see this and they'll grow up like that. You're giving them the foothold for the devil to move into them. You're giving the foothold for the devil. David was making sure that these giants were extinguished and not him. So human responsibility. Let me run you a couple of things and this is me finished with this. We'll not turn to it in Leviticus 26. Verse 12 says of the fire on the altar. It says, or verse 13 says, the fire shall ever be burning upon the altar and shall never go out. If you read that, it says the priest brought wood to the altar. They had to get wood chop wood down. You didn't go to the shop and buy the big bags of wood that we get to light our fire. They had to go cut it down, chop it up. They had to bring it and they had to clean out the fire and they had to keep the fire going. Human responsibility. God says, I'll light it. You keep it going. You keep it going. I want to be real with you just for two minutes. Thank you for your attention. Time has for me. Give me two minutes. And I'll be real with you. And I might throw out a few corns or maybe challenged, might prick a few hearts. But I want you to know that this is to try and help us all. In First Thessalonians 5 and 19, Paul says, quench not the spirit. Don't extinguish the spirit. So in other words, Don't you quench it, human responsibility. Don't you quench it. What do we do that we quench the spirit, that we may look out for that we do not quench it? First of all, you'll quench the spirit in your life or in an assembly if you're living in sin. If you live a sinful life. Now, I ain't talking about quenching the Spirit. I'm talking about the sense of the Spirit. If you're a believer, he'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'm talking about the sense of the Spirit. The power he brings. The sealing doesn't change. I, S-E-A-L-I-N-G. Sealing. Sealed with the Holy Ghost. Unto the day of redemption, Paul says. Living in sin. Here's another one. Living in rebellion to God's word. Here's another one. Personality of man and woman. When you make it all about me, 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 God says then it's all you, you, you. Off you go. Personality. The fear of man. Not stepping out when the Spirit has given you the unction to do it. After a while, the Lord will say, then I'll use someone else. Here's another one. Neglected prayer life. Neglected Bible reading and Bible study. You'll never know the Spirit and you'll never know the Word without the Spirit. Here's another one. 
You ready for this? I know it doesn't speak of anybody here now because we would never think, I guess, neglecting your church meeting. Neglecting when the saints of God are gathered together. You might say, well, where's that in Scripture? You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You're 100% right. And the old cliche is going to a garage doesn't make you a car and going to McDonald's doesn't make you a burger and all those sort of things. I've heard them all before. But let me tell you something. It's when the saints are gathering together. The Word tells us in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. can't remember the verse. But this is what it says. Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. Or stop letting down your brethren when they gather together. That's what it means. Stop it when the doors are open. He says, be there. That's the word. And hearts go, I'm not going to listen to that. Well, then that's rebellion. It's not about me because I have to adhere to it as well. Here's another one. Religious ritual and ceremony. Kills the spirit in a man and a woman. Fifthly, you ready for this? Bad attitudes, gossip, malice, root of bitterness will cause the dove, like David's strength, to grow wings and fly away. That is the sense of him. Here's another one. The misuse of the spiritual gifts. I know people have went to other people who are dying and saying, and turned around and have said to them, you're healed. The Lord has told me. In family circles. And the person's died and they're devastated. See, unless God has told you, never do that. I believe in that, by the way. But never do it. The ministry of the gifts in the church, that is, masses and tongues say, two at the most three, with one interpreting. Outside of that, you know what happens? It causes the wings of the Spirit to fly. The ministry of the Spirit must be as according to the Word of God. It's not according to the pastor, but according to the word. Here's another one. Harboring guilt. Holding on to the painful past life and unforgiveness. Listen, if you're in Christ, he's not going to extinguish you or quench you. He's here to breathe on you, isn't that the word this morning? To breathe on you that that smoldering ember, that that little uh, uh, fuse of wick that is just about, uh, about to go out, he says, I will breathe on you if you give it to me. You see, you have a, 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 a human responsibility. Condemnation. If you're in Christ, there is no condemnation. Stop letting the devil condemn you. And lastly, Anxiousness, stress, worry, and fear will quench the spirit in your life. You need to take the shield of faith. Here's something 
for you to remember. God is sovereign, and ultimately, there's nothing can hinder him. But some of us feel that if we don't do exactly what God does, he cannot do without us. I was sitting in a big meeting one time, 1,200 people. And they're quite tight on the things of the Spirit. In fact, the worst stifling it used to be alive in the Spirit. And I sat in this meeting one time, and the Lord gave me a word to give to this meeting. I didn't give it. A few people down this wee old woman got up, frail as she was. For thus would say the Lord. There is an obedience to the word in the spirit. And there's an abuse of the word in the spirit. Let's get it right. Let's get it. God does not need us. We need him. He uses us and gives us the pleasure of serving him. Look, maybe you've fallen, you've fell, or you've let the Lord down, you've made mistakes. Well, join the club. Here's one saying I heard one time. Let your best teacher be your last mistake. Let your best teacher be your last mistake. Let's learn from these things and move on for God is more. Listen, ultimately, when you apply your human responsibility, you know what happens? You know what you find? It was him all along who gave you the strength. Smoking flax, he will not quit. God bless his word to all of us this morning for his glory and for his honor. In Jesus' name.